we're all still trying to figure it out. Maybe not architecture, maybe not design, maybe they've got that down, but like being a human and figuring out like, how does this all work? And am I making the right decision? And am I happy or, you know, whatever, like we are literally all trying to figure it out and we're doing the best that we can. Um, and so like, ultimately that just means like, you're not alone. The more we can kind of realize that we're learning together, I think the more connected we'll feel, but also like the, the feeling of lostness or like the feeling of like stumbling around in a dark room, we realize like maybe it's not so dark and we're not the only one doing that. Good morning and welcome to Sorry I'm in Studio, a podcast delivered to you at the most productive hours of studio, 1am Sunday night. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have Ashley Contos, who is the wonderful academic advisor at the University of Houston College of Architecture and Design. My co-host, I have Natalie and myself, I'm Maria. And we just really quickly wanted to get to know you a little bit better and also understand what the benefits that an academic advisor can provide to a student um, and also the hidden underbelly of, you know, picking a major and, and all of these other things that, you know, seem really stressful at first, but it's nice to have somebody who can help you out. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here with you guys. wanted to start off by asking you. I know that it's really difficult for students, especially in a design-based major, you know, to try and find this like balance between striving for perfection in studio and at the same time not really putting too much pressure on yourself as a student. And I was wondering if you could speak towards how does one find that balance of wanting to constantly be at the top of the crop and not fall behind? I think it's a good question. And I think it affects like a lot of students. Um, so whether you're in a design major or not, um, oftentimes students can be very competitive with their classmates. Or even some students are like, I don't care what my classmates are doing. I just care about what I'm doing. <laughs> and like, is it to the best that I can do? Um, but I really kind of try, if a, if a student does come and talk to me about this, right, which they don't all talk about it. But if they are willing to tell me that this is something I'm struggling with, I often tell them, um, you know, perfection is something that we will never actually obtain. And so it's this kind of false reality. It's this false sense that, you know, if you made it to some level, right, or if you did your design to, to some technique, that it cannot be criticized or critiqued, right? And that's like not real at all, ever. And I would also argue that if that were obtainable, nobody would be interested in your work. It would be so unrelatable, right? So like, is that something that you actually want to strive for? Um, so I try to, if I can open up a dialogue and a conversation, I try to tell them of, can you think of your work, even in college, as a gift to somebody else or as a gift to yourself? So can your process be a gift to yourself in that are you paying attention to what you're learning and the techniques that are working for you versus not working for you? Can you be mindful enough to observe that? Or can you imagine, is my work that I'm going to deliver at the end of the semester, is it going to be of value to a group of people, uh, either to a client, a community, 
can you can you can you shift your perspective from thinking about am I going to get an A and am I going to be the best and if that is the case then nobody can ever criticize me again and I'll be like inside I'll feel safe right like that's ultimately what the pursuit of perfection is like I don't want to be criticized I want to be in a place where I'm kind of untouchable and then I'll be safe but we know that's not real so can you maybe change the way you approach your work to like a gift mindset who can I serve with my work? Um, is it actually going to be a value to anybody? Or am I so worried about myself and my grade that I can't think about anybody else, right? Like if I can open up a conversation with the student to, to kind of help them learn to shift the way they think, that's what I would hopefully do. I actually have like a really good one page article that was in um, the magazine Kinfolk, like I think like a year ago and it's called Pretty Ugly. Um, and so if a student is willing to, I actually share that article with them because it's literally just, I think like four paragraphs, it's super short, but to help them understand that like your experience, especially in college, but I would say specifically in a design program, don't think about perfection. And honestly, I would encourage you don't think about the end product as much as your process, becoming very intimate with your own process, which is going to be chock full of mistakes. But that is what actually hones your skill. So the pursuit of perfection is often not actually doing much for you. But if you can be intimate with your own process and kind of fine tuning it and being curious about it, that's what's actually going to deliver the product that you probably actually desire. I really appreciate you talking towards that because I know that, for example, that was something that I struggled definitely with as a first year and second year. And it took me several semesters to really come to terms with understanding that it's not going to be perfect at the first time. Like I, I, I almost relate it to like photography. Like if you take one photograph, the chances of it being the best photograph you ever took is really low. But if you end up taking a hundred, like somewhere along the, you'll, you'll get something good and then you can start building off of that. And I think that that's something that we don't really remember until, you know, much later as, as, you know, design professionals and, and, and creatives. And it's interesting because, you know, I don't come from a design background. This isn't what I studied, um, but I danced from when I was a little girl. And then I actually danced through college and I have a degree in dance. Um, and so, you know, a ballerina would never think she's going to be perfect ever, right? Like, it's kind of built into a, a dance discipline that, you know, you never jumped high enough. You never spun fast enough. You were never thin enough. You were never whatever. Like we like, so in that kind of program, like you never, you want perfection, but you know, you're never, ever going to have it. And that is built into your mindset from when you're little. And so it was very interesting to me to come into a design program and to meet, you know, these brilliant students who are like 18, 19. And I'm like, this is your first semester. Like, of course, it's not going to be perfect. And then I, I don't want to break their heart, but I'm going to, you at some point you have to tell them like, and it never will be. But then that's actually what makes it really cool. Because if design could be perfect, right? Like if it could, I think we would have already done it. And then what would be, what would you be able to do? So like, it's really great that it can't be perfect because that, that leaves space for all these new designers to come in and say, I get to leave my own mark. That's very distinct and personal. And I think that's actually more beautiful. But you are right. Like, we don't talk about it. Sorry. So like, in your classes, we don't necessarily talk about it. So you have to find these little ways to work it into a conversation. Yeah, I would say that I'm personally going through that struggle right now, getting used to, like, not everything would be perfect from the, like, straight go around. And you have to do multiple, like, 
iterations or um, make a lot of mistakes to get to something that you're enjoying. I often tell students um, if I do metaphors, like I'm not a gamer, I don't I don't game, but I know I know of the I know of the video games, um, and I tell them, you know, if you got some kind of computer game and you beat it the first time around, it wouldn't be fun, right? Like it's the games where you have to play a certain level, I have to play it over and over before I actually like figure it out, and then I can go on to the next level. And then it's the same thing. You don't beat it right away, right? Like that's what actually makes the game fun is having to figure it out. And like, because the game is quote unquote fun, you don't mind that you have to spend multiple rounds on level seven or whatever, right? Um, so maybe trying to think of your academics or your design work in the same way. Like, and sometimes you get stuck on level seven only four times, but then you get to level 10 and you're like, dang it, I'm stuck on this, like, you know, 20 times I can't get past it. But then you do ultimately, right? Like if we can think of our work more like that, um, it might be at least more palatable to think about the iterations in, in that kind of way. What would she want? students to know and understand before starting college and or a design program? So I think before maybe even starting college, just starting there, um, like at least for me, like this is the, that was the best time in my life, you know, like I never want to tell a student like you're peaking right now, but like <laughs> from my perspective, I'm like, oh, it was so nice, right? Like it was so nice to just be able to take random classes and be around a bunch of people who are all learning at the same time and, you know, sitting up to midnight, having philosophical conversations and having a spring break and a winter break, like you will never have that again when you're an adult. So like, it is like the, like, it's, it's just like an amazing time. And so as much as you can really soak it up, you know, and if you are obsessive, obsessively spending time in studio working your, on your project, like if you want to do that and you choose to do it because it brings you fulfillment, fantastic. But don't miss out on those other opportunities because like you will not have that again. I mean, unless you go back to graduate school, but then that that kind of that works so differently than an undergrad program that like, you know, so I I would love a student to kind of come into college and like tell them like be a sponge for everything. Like just take take the time to like soak it up. I also think it's important that some students don't need to hop from high school to college, right? Like some students are just not ready right out of high school to, again, just dive back into academics. And so if a student feels like, you know what, I would rather spend a year working for the Peace Corps, or I would rather spend a year working a job, do it right? Like, I think a lot of times students and parents think if I take a break, I'll never come back. And I don't think that's an accurate um, depiction of what would actually happen. Um, universities and colleges aren't going anywhere, right? Like when you're ready, we're here, right? We'll take your money at any time. Um, so it's not <laughs> like we're going anywhere. <laughs> um, you know, so if you needed that time, right? Like take it. So like I for before anybody like starts college, I would say those two things, right? Like enjoy the experience, soak it up as much as you can, really kind of roll around in it like a pig in mud, right? And then secondly, like if you're not ready to hop, you know, one program to another, high school into college, that's also okay. Um so I think that would be really important. Before coming into a design program, 
from what I've seen as an advisor, I tell students to soak up as much as you can before you start the design program. Um, so start reading books about architecture, design, or interiors. Like you don't need anybody's permission to pick up a book or start Googling. Um, there's so many great like podcasts, like you guys are doing one. Um, students tell me about podcasts all the time that they're listening to and I'll, I'll like, you know, go check them out. Um, there's great videos on YouTube. There's also good um, like series as well, like on Netflix. So like their information is out there and I would just tell students to go ahead and start, you know, like maybe not, you know, studying, but go ahead and dip your toes into the water. And if you have access to some of the software and programs, like a lot of people have access to AutoCAD, but you know, if you have access to other programs, feel free to just explore. I know it's scary because you're like, but I don't know what I'm doing per se. And that's okay. But just kind of go uh, go ahead and mess around with it to just see what you can figure out without somebody else telling you or, or already putting you in a box in that program. It really warms my heart that you've said that second point about, you know, Sometimes you're just not ready for college at 18. I mean, I feel like that's very much my life story. I started college at 18 at a different university and I quickly came to realize that I made a rushed decision as to what major I wanted to do and that I wasn't really happy with my choice and that I wanted to change majors. And it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to change to, which led to me taking a few years of stepping away from the college environment. But you're totally right. It, I think my parents were very scared that I wasn't going to go back to college and they were just constantly pressuring me like, what are you doing? Like, what's your next step? And it only made me feel even more passionate about the choice that I made for myself when I decided to switch to architecture. And I, I also recognize it in a lot of like some of the younger students. I mean, I started when I was 21 in studio and I had friends who were 18 and I could tell that, you know, I definitely had a much different perspective as to you know, my work ethic, my design ethic, the things that I, you know, was aspiring to than some of my, you know, 18 year old classmates, not to say that their work wasn't good or that, you know, they weren't handling the stress well, but it just gave me a really different perspective on the, on the college culture and everything. And I, I definitely dove headfirst into trying to be as involved as possible because of it. I think it's hard to know when you're 18, how much more grounded you'll be at 21 versus how grounded you are at 21, but like not realizing how grounded you'll be. Like I'm 34, I'm just now feeling grounded, right? Like, but when I was 21, I would have told you like, no, I'm the most grounded I'll ever be. And it's like, actually, no, you're gonna do a lot more growing, right? But you know, it's hard to tell an 18 year old, you're not actually really all that grounded right now, but that's totally okay and 100% normal. Like we don't have those kinds of conversations with our kids typically, much less our students. But yeah, I would also probably tell an incoming student that like you think you're grounded and you're not, but that's okay. You will build that foundation underneath you through experience, which experience is often very challenging, right? It's not a comfortable growth cycle. But that's ultimately how you get your footing is by going through like challenging things or difficult things, hard things and learning like, who, who am I, you know, and, and, and how do I want to live and how do I want to change my major and how do I want to go about figuring it out? Like that's, you get to, to decide. Um, if I could tell students anything, it's like, you're going to be okay. You're, you're going to be okay. Maybe not right now. Maybe not, you know, in two minutes, maybe not an hour, but ultimately you're going to be okay. I mean, I think that's super reassuring. I, 
it's it's also been really interesting growing up and, and seeing my parents as these people who had everything under control and then slowly getting to the age where like my parents got married and like seeing all of these other things happening around me and I'm just like nobody has it together like oh my goodness I don't know why I was lying to myself like everybody's just trying to figure it out and you know that's you're right it's totally okay to just you know even just take a moment and reassure yourself like I might not know what I'm gonna do but I'll figure it out and that's totally valid um, yeah. on that note I, I think you mentioned touched a lot on points on how you help students but What's one way that an advisor can help a student that they might not necessarily know about? Um, so the cool thing about advisors that maybe students don't really think about is, you know, each semester, you will probably have a different instructor, right? Now you might have some instructors that you repeat at some point, but for the most part, you know, you're gonna experience a new instructor every semester, especially with like your core classes, like the English professor that you have for English Composition One, you're probably never gonna see that person again, right? And if you're lucky in your design program, you might have a professor, what, three or four times if you're lucky. Your advisor though, you're gonna have all the way through. So from the time that you start through the time that you graduate, your advisor is your one constant, right? As long as we don't like move away or die, right? Oh my God. Um, you know, like heaven forbid, you know? Because um, I think Natalie, did you start with me? I think Natalie started I, with me. I did start with you. So 2019. Okay, cool. Okay, so Natalie, you started with me. So barring, you know, me moving or like passing, you know, you're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you through the time that you graduate, right? Um, so that's the cool thing about an advisor. Your faculty may come and go, but like, I'm going to be here. Like, and I like to pretend like I'm like a little fairy godmother, right? Except I don't have magic. Um, but I'm here to kind of guide you, right? Whether that just be like, what classes do I take? But ultimately, I would hope that I serve some better purpose that by the time you've been with our college five years and you're, you're having you know, you're having concerns about like, I'm, my pursuit of perfection is getting in the way of me accomplishing anything. Ashley, help me. <laughs> what, what is this? Or I'm, I'm really struggling with the work-life balance. Help me, Ashley. Or um, I'm not sure if this is what I want to do. Is this the major for me? Can you help me? Ultimately, for me, like, yes, the advisor can help you pick classes, but we're ultimately the one there for you the whole time helping you craft yourself like capital S self, right? Like, is this the program that you want? Yes or no. If it's yes, how do, how, how do we take the like ultimate advantage of this program and really soak it in? How do you make this program your own too? Um, a lot of students don't have those conversations with me and I don't want to push it on a student, right? Because that's not my job to force anything. But if a student comes to me and you really, they're asking these questions of Ashley, how do I cultivate myself in this program? I'm 100% ready for that conversation. I'm just waiting for them to initiate, right? Um, so for me, the advisor is the one person that you have the entire time you're on campus. And my sole job is to just be there for you. That's what I get paid to do is to be there for you, whether that be just picking classes or, you know, maybe you're having a tough semester at home and you're like, I've got some family stuff going on. I just need to talk to somebody or, um, you know, whatever it is, like I'm there. And the great thing about advisors is we don't... Um, have control of your grades. <laughs> so no matter what you tell us, it's not like I can be like, well, I didn't like that. So I'm going to give you a, a C instead of a B, right? Like I don't have that kind of control. Uh, I'm really just there to kind of facilitate your growth as a student, but also actually to me, it's more important, like your growth as a person. 
and that's just there. That's what I'm there to do support you guys in that kind of, you know, internal journey. When students come to you for advising purposes or whatever in general, how much of the time is it like a student just checking in like with you versus when they're in distress about something? And what is the most common reason that these students in distress? Probably by and large, a student is coming to me about classes transferring a class in, right? I know a lot of us take physics maybe at a community college and, and want to transfer it in. And so they need help with that process. Like how do I go to another institution and then and then ultimately get that credit back to UH? Um, so, we, so we definitely help with that. So I would say probably most of the time it is about that, right? Like classes, degree plan, degree requirements. I want to graduate. How do I do that the quickest I can? Um, and then you know, so I would say the majority is that. And then you do have students who come to you in distress, but the distress can look different. I mean, there is no like, this is the majority of distress that an advisor will see. Um, I know that there is a lot of, um, you know, a lot of thought given to the work-life balance. Um, I know a lot of our students have to have jobs. And so it's kind of a conversation of how do we navigate your time? Because there's only 24 hours in a day. How do we navigate your time that you can devote X amount of time to your job and then X amount of time to studio because studio is demanding. And then also hopefully have time for another class or another two or three classes that you might be taking and have time for sleep and eating and hopefully friends. And, you know, so sometimes it's just purely talking about time management and how do you balance it all, um, which sounds like, oh, that's, that's like a, I don't know, like an average, that's like something that everybody has to deal with, right? But I think it's like particularly pronounced in a design program, right? That That is a real struggle. Um, and I'm pretty honest with my students when they come in. Um, I'm a first-generation college student. I worked two to three jobs the whole time I was an undergrad. And when I was in graduate school, I worked full-time while going to grad school. I paid my way all the way through, so I have like $70,000 in student loan debt. Um, so when students come in and talk to me, I'm pretty honest with them about it. Um, I, I mean, because I don't feel like it's good to kind of put on a pretense that, oh, it's fine. You know, I'm like, no, actually, I know exactly what you're going through. I know what it feels like to hustle just to feed yourself, right? Um, and so this is a it's, a, it's a reality. And I know how it felt for me. And so I don't know how it feels for you, but I bet it's similar, right? Um, so sometimes it's just having those conversations of how do you do literally all the things that you have to do to one, just survive. You've got to have money to like live and eat. But then also like, how do you have enough time to like devote yourself to this program? So sometimes it's conversations about that. And then you have other conversations with students of, um, I have some things going on at home or I have things going on in a relationship or I have, you know, there's a, a lot that happens between 18 and 24, 25, right? And so sometimes I'm just there to kind of hear them about whatever they're kind of dealing with. And I think usually I'm just providing a space to listen. Um, sometimes I don't feel like I have answers, but I have suggestions. <laughs> like, you know, you, you could try this or maybe consider that. But um, I think most of the time I'm just there to listen. You know, yeah, I know that even for myself, it having that, you know, whether it's a professor or a student or an advisor, you know, sometimes just knowing that there's somebody that you can talk to is already a big relief. 
And so I, I know many people who have gone to the advising office and just talked it out, even if it's just like a professor that they can't talk to and they feel like they need a mediator, you know, that sometimes is a huge help in of itself as well. Um, just really quickly, I, you mentioned work-life balance and finding time for yourself as well as your friends and your family. I mean, so many different things are pulling you in all different directions. When I was younger in the career and into the major, I didn't know how to relax. And it took me a long time to like recognize that I didn't understand relaxation as a concept and also how to do it in a way to take care of my mental health and you know my physical health. So what are ways that you recommend students de-stress when they're going through the thick of it? Um, so I'm a big proponent of rituals and I don't mean like any kind of like spiritual voodoo thing, but like some kind of daily ritual. So sometimes I will have students come into my office and say, by the time I try to go to sleep at one or 2 a.m., I'm so wound tight. My brain has been doing so much activity. I literally can't calm down. <laughs> and so I have suggested that you have bedtime rituals. Um, like I think it's helpful because it is kind of a sensory cue to your body to relax. Like this is our time that, you know, we're going to kind of decompress and let go and then slowly drift into sleep. Um, and for each student, that ritual might look very different. Um, so like my nighttime rituals, and granted, I have way more time probably than, than my students do, but um, I always take a hot bath at night. So like after dinner, after I've kind of like, you know, maybe finished up anything with work, you know, I take a bath. Um, I like like scented pretty things, so I'll, I'll put something in the bath. So like that's the first thing, right? I'm warm and safe and it's quiet and there's sounds of water. That helps me relax. And then I get in bed and I braid my hair and then I put on like lavender oil and I do my face. Right? These are all indicators to my body that we're going to bed now. But the only reason it's an indicator is because I've been doing this for years right? Um, even when I was a little kid, my mom would rub like lavender oil on my feet. So the smell of lavender is a like sensory cue to my body, like, hey, we're going to bed. So if you don't have those established yet, I recommend that you start this kind of process now. But again, you don't have to do what I do. That's just totally me. But find something for you, whether it be like, okay, well, I'm going to listen to this sleep podcast every night when I need to go to sleep. And then slowly your body will understand like, oh, okay, this is what we're doing now. Um, so I think rituals are a really good thing, especially to prepare yourself for sleep. Now, if you're talking about like, I need to relax during the day because a project is particularly stressful, perhaps, right? Um, I always recommend going outside. So like when we are all in the building together, um, which I know that we all miss, but I, I did see a lot of students who would like walk at lunchtime to go get food and walk back to our building to eat it. And even that, like, what is it, a 20 minute walk, perhaps? More or less. Yeah, probably. Depending also on where, where where on campus you go. Yeah, yeah. So like maybe if you want a short walk, you know, like I only have, you know, five minutes to spare. I'm going to go to the taco truck, right? Versus I have a little bit more time. So I'm going to do like this 30 minute walk. I think getting outside is always helpful as a way to decompress. Um, I also tell students um, like your brain can only focus on the creative act for about 30 minutes before it's tapped out. Um, so it's, it's good. Like I typically tell students, like if we're working on time management is build your blocks and, and 45 minutes of work 
where you are 100% focused on your project. You don't have your phone around you. You do not have your computer around you. Like you are solely focused on whatever it is that you're designing. But you can only do that for 45 minutes. And then you have a 15-minute window of you can do whatever you want. If you want to chat with your friends, if you want to use your cell phone, if you want to take a walk, and then come back for another 45-minute burst. Sometimes that can help, but I really think like walking and being outside is such a good way to allow yourself, especially if a project is pretty grueling, to kind of take a moment, go outside, get some fresh air. You know, if it's raining outside, go to the library, right? Like just move yourself outside of your your typical environment or surrounding so that your brain has a reprieve. Yeah, I, I will admit that I definitely recognize that in the first few years, um, especially in the first semester, there's like this weird culture that like staying in the building is synonymous with success. Like, oh, if you stay in here longer, like you're gonna get a better grade. Your professor's gonna like your stuff more. And it it it, it took it takes time to like recognize it in yourself, but also recognize it in your peer. That generally speaking, the people that take the time, like you said, to go on walks to you know decide to go out one evening with their friends and like get dinner like those are the people that are happier and then in addition to that are more productive when they're in the building because it's we it's i feel like it's a casino at times where you're just in that building for so long and the days pass you by and you don't even recognize what day of the week it is anymore you're just lost in the the throes of designing and, and that's not really you're right productive for your brain at all yeah you know i can attest to that because it got to the point where I would look at the time and I would think it was like 1.30 a.m. but it was actually 1.30 p.m. and it was like light outside and I'm like, uh, I need to go on a walk or something like that. Intuitively, we know, like if I were to talk to a student about artists, the artists who are truly good do not stay in one place to do their art, right? Like. I'm talking about like a painter or, or somebody who draws, right? Like they go to different places all the time. They're trying to take in different sensory um, uh, like experiences. And ultimately that's probably what shapes their art. But as in a design program that we're in, we're like, oh no, I have to stay in studio. And then that's what's going to make my project better. But it's like, where did you get that information? And therefore, why don't other art forms do that, right? It's, it's totally not true. Um, but for some reason, especially like you said, in your first year, that gets into their head somehow. I don't know how. Um, but nothing else in our lived experience supports that, um, I guess, perspective. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, if I if I could tell you something, like, model the art students. Go outside, look at bodies, look at trees, look at buildings, look at cars, look, you know, learn from literally everything around you because studio is so minimalistic. It's such a small little world in studio. Um, that if that is all you're in, like taking in, your work is going to be so much more limited. So earlier you mentioned that you did not come from like a design background. So how did you end up being an advisor in a design college? So I started off as a business major and a dance major at a community college. And I was supposed to, um, I was supposed to transfer to SMU, which is a hoity-toity fancy school in Dallas. I um, had a scholarship 
And my parents actually moved across the country for my dad's job. And I was like, oh, no, I don't feel like I can move to this big city of Dallas with my parents moving across the country. It was too much change for me all at once. So I stayed at the, in the town that I grew up in and went to school and kept doing business. But I really wasn't happy. Um, like I, w- I could do the work. I could turn it out. But I was like, this is not fulfilling at all. Um, but I always took an English class every semester for fun. So I realized like that is where I'm actually fulfilled. That is where I actually feel like I am contributing and learning and really stretching myself as a person. So I changed my major to English um, to make sure that I was fully unemployable. I also minored in history and classical studies and learned Latin, Um, you know. And I graduated in 2010, which was right after the 2008 financial crisis. Very difficult to get a job. I took a year off because I was supposed to go to graduate school on the East Coast. So I was like, okay, I'll take a year to like work and save. But it was really hard to find work. But I I ultimately um, got to work at a hair salon and got my hair done for free, which was great. Um, I worked at Chanel. So I sold beautiful makeup um, and had like really weird, cool experiences on a year off. And then I decided that the grad program on the East Coast wasn't for me. I actually got to go visit it, um, which I typically recommend any student do before you get into a grad program. If you can go and shadow a day in the life of a student in that grad program, I strongly recommend it. I did it and then immediately knew that this is not the program for me. I don't want to do this. Um, So I went back and went back home and studied English some more for my, my master's degree. Um, in the process of that, I needed a job. Like I said earlier, I had to work as an undergrad and I also had to work in grad school. And so being a graduate assistant doesn't pay a lot. (laughs) So even though the university is funding you to be a graduate assistant, just doesn't pay enough to like pay rent and a car and have a dog. I could transition though, from being a graduate assistant to being an academic advisor. It was an easy kind of transition one role into the other. So I actually started advising when I was in graduate school. Um, And I advised for like technical professional programs. So that would be things like welding and automotive. I just stuck with advising. Um, I really liked the idea that I was teaching, but I wasn't teaching a subject or a discipline. I was actually teaching students how to do college. I thought that was really cool. Um, because where I was originally advising is a, is a pretty rural area. Um, there's a, there's a lot of poverty, um, like not inner city poverty. I'm talking about like rural. I mean, I, I, I grew up in the- like no internet, no, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of rural poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, I grew up in a really small town and then, um, Tyler is in a big city anyway. Um, so it was really like helping a lot of young men learn how to get into the like one how to do college because their family didn't know how to do it but like i i know that i want to go work on cars or whatever and helping these young men like learn okay if that's what you want to do then this is these are all the academic hoops that you're going to have to jump through and so i really liked that aspect of it that like not only do i get to serve somebody but I am kind of being a teacher, just not in a classroom. I thought that was really interesting. And so I just kind of stuck with it. Um, so I started off at uh, like a junior college, and then I um, advised at Lamar University down in Beaumont. And then when I got to the Houston area, I worked at um, Lone Star College. And then I actually interv- I've interviewed at almost every single one of the colleges at UH. So I applied at UH for three years before I got hired there. Um, yeah. 
so um, I just I just knew I was like if I just keep applying like one day they'll they'll take me I just have to keep pushing um, so I actually started at UH in the College of Technology um, and then um, Abby the previous advisor um, she moved across the country and um, so I interviewed and I'd already interviewed with Train before and she's our assistant dean so I'd already interviewed with her before but couldn't take the job and then this time you know I finally got it so like the the evolution to being with the co-ad has definitely taken years but I was persistent and then I finally got there that's so cool I, I mean I, I got to know Abby before she left and she was such a wonderful person and I, I honestly think that every advisor that I've come across within the co-ad has just been so wonderful and you know has been really great to all of the students you know you guys support us so much um I, I do have a question I mean you talk so much about your life like after undergrad and I think that that's such an interesting part, you know, finding your next step as a student, finding that next, you know, goal in your life. I think that a lot of people when they leave high school, they're like, oh, my clear next obvious goal is college. And then once you finish college, you're like, I have no clue what my clear obvious next goal is. Like how, how do you re like pivot and reassess where you're going to go after getting the diploma and walking the stage and seeing the confetti? Mm. Um, so what I have learned, because of course I would not have told you this when I graduated with my under, undergrad, but what I have learned is, um, hold your goals or hold your dreams loosely, because if you hold on too tight and constrict them, um, it's much harder to kind of mm, be fluid enough to get there eventually. Right. Um, so like there isn't one path to your like goal. There, there's, there's tons of different ways you can get there and you really need to be open to all of those ways. Um, so for instance, when I graduated with my undergrad, I was like, I will get my PhD in English literature, I will teach and I will be exactly like the Dead Poets Society movie and I, my students will stand on their desks and we will read poetry to trees. You know, that's, of course, that's what I thought when I was like 23. <laughs> Come to find out there, there, there are no jobs available and even if they are, your salary is so low, you know, it would be like ridiculous. So I, I, I still have that dream, right? I would love to be a, an English professor, but the reality of it doesn't make sense right now. So I've had to kind of hold that dream very loosely and say, okay, well, what other things also fulfill me that are within that realm, right? Um, and I don't know if they talk to you guys about this in, in, in your program and as you are getting ready to graduate, but, um, people don't stay in jobs as long as they used to, right? I think people used to stay with a company for 30 or 40 years. You're lucky if you stay with a company three to five years now. Um, and often, most of the time, the degree that you earn is not the field that you go into, um, which is scary. It's scary for an 18-year-old or a 21-year-old to hear that. And I would have been terrified if you had told me that when I had graduated with my undergrad degree. Now that I have been in the professional world for so long, I now realize it's totally okay. Like I have worked um, inside academia and I've worked outside of academia. Like I worked at Baylor College of Medicine. I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about medicine, but I, I had a job there and it was great. It was awesome. I learned so many skills that academia would have never taught me. Um, 
So I think, you know, once you graduate or when you're preparing to graduate, like have your dreams. I would never tell somebody to like, let them go, like have them, but just know there's a million different pathways for you to get there. And you're probably not going to get there in a year after graduating, (laughs) right? Like, you know, the, the job that I want to have, I may not have it until I'm 40 or 50 and I'm okay with that. Right. So like, just know that in your mind that the job that you want, it's not going to come to you right away. It's going to be something that you're going to build throughout your entire career. Um, so one, hold your dreams loosely and be willing to kind of kind of go with the flow to get there, right? Like don't make your path so hard edged that you don't have room to kind of wiggle. Um, but also know that the career that you want, this, this, this dream job, um, it takes years to cultivate. It doesn't come to you right away. Um, and, you know, like, I think it's, especially right now, it's difficult, you know, because a lot of our students graduated in May of last year and then December, and now we have a, another cohort graduating in May. And, you know, it's it's hard with COVID um, finding jobs, maybe specifically finding jobs in the design world, but just finding jobs, right? Like, that is hard right now. Um, but I would say it's hard for young people to have that kind of perspective. I don't know if you guys remember the 2008 financial crisis because you would have been so young. But like we went through it and it was real and it was difficult. But here I am. I made it through. I'm okay, right? Um, we'll be okay too. It's just this may this may be the time in our life where we're asked to kind of suffer and that sucks. But it's ultimately what it helps us become more human. Um, so suffering is never pleasant. It's scary. It hurts. It's uncomfortable and we want it to stop. But ultimately the way that we're going to be, be able to relate to other people, especially other people in their careers and the challenges of that is if we go through our own challenges. Right. Um, so I know that doesn't make it better. (laughs) Um, it doesn't make anything feel good. It doesn't put food in your mouth, but I just want you to know, like our country, has been through something like this before. I went through it, but like, we're going to be okay. It's just, we may not be okay like right now, but we will be okay. The, the only constant that we can count on is change. Thank God. Right. Um, so this too will change, but, um, I think right now, especially like when I think about students graduating and trying to get jobs, that's like the most important time to, to hold your dreams very loosely um, and be willing to say, you know, I can't get a, I can't perhaps get a design job. Um, I can't go work for an architecture firm right now. They're not hiring. Okay, well, could you go work at the art museum? Could you, um, you know, could you work at a construction firm? Could you, you know, um, could you work at a restaurant? Um, I, I worked at restaurants and I, I was, at, you know, especially when I was young, I thought, how is this ever going to help me, right? Like, how is serving food ever going to help me? Definitely teaches you customer service <laughs> um, and how to be humble. <laughs> um, so, like, any job is beneficial to teach you something. You just have to be willing to be open to that lesson, right? Um, so, I think right now it's particularly hard, but we can do hard things. It sometimes even tells you or teaches you the things that you definitely do not want to be doing for the rest of your life, which is even equally as beneficial as knowing the things that you do want to do. You know, I, I remember being in high school and I thought I wanted to be a doctor and I did it an internship at a hospital and I quickly realized that that was not the lifestyle for me. 
you know, so. so it's really hard to kind of hear it and, and know it on some kind of visceral level when you're 18 or 21. <laughs> but like, uh, as you get older, like you learn, like, um, you'll definitely do things that you don't want to do even in the job that you love. There's always going to be some aspect of the job that you're like, God, I don't, want I, this is the one part that I hate that gets under my skin, right? So like if you've already had a job before that you didn't like and yet you still had to do it, it, it it's kind of like this weird learning process so that like, like you said, like you kind of get humbled so that when you're in the job that you love, but there's this portion that you don't like, you're more, um, I guess, receptive to understanding that this is just how it is. And because I love it, I can even do this part that I don't like. I will lastly ask you, I think that as a first year and, you know, moving on through the career, it's at times really hard where you have that moment of self-doubt of, you know, am I in the right major? Not even just in the College of Architecture and Design, you know, just like in general. I mean, you talk about switching majors. Um, what advice would you give to a student, let's say a first year who's considering ID or IA or, you know, regular architecture and, and helping them figure out which one is the right one for them? It's a little bit easier if they know they want to stay within the world of design, but they're thinking, maybe I don't want to do architecture, I want to do ID. Or maybe I don't want to do ID, I want to do IA, right? So it's a little bit easier when a student knows I want to stay in design, but I think I might need to change one of the programs. Um, I think the really cool thing about ID is you can pretty much go into almost any field, right? Because every field has some element of design. Um, and so ID is for those individuals who I think probably like that um, freedom, um, and you can design cars. Like if that is your thing, great, go design cars. Or if you're like, no, I really want to, um, I know that we've offered that healthcare product design. Like if you want to go into that medical industry, perfect, go. If you're like, no, I want to stay in the tech world and move out to San Francisco. Like ID is so versatile. I think that is really cool, right? And you can design large scale things or small scale things. So I think people who want that, um, freedom of movement, like ID is perfect, right? Whereas architecture is very specific. I mean, you're going to design buildings, at least in your education, right? Like you're going to be designing buildings for five years. Now, does that mean you have to go into a career that is only architecture? No, but I mean, by and large, that's the goal, right? Um, so I think it's easier if a student wants to change their major within our college, because, you know, one, you don't have to change advisors and we're, we're right there, but it's, it's easy to kind of help them shift within those programs. It becomes a little bit more complex if they think I don't want to do design anymore. I think I need to, I want to do something completely different. And usually the strong indicator is that the work that they're doing in studio is not interesting. They're not passionate about it. It feels like work. Um, and of course, I think studio will always to some degree feel like quote unquote work. It's, it's difficult, right? It's challenging. But there will become a point where they're like, I am not fulfilled by this. I'm not invested in this. I'm, I'm literally just going through the movements and I don't care. That's a pretty strong indicator that you might want to change your major. Um, but what would you change to? That can take a bit more time to kind of think about and reflect on. 
Um, but I know that I think the statistics, at least the last time that I heard, I think people change their major on average four to five times. So it is totally normal. Um, it's just people don't, people don't really talk about it. Um, but I think to, to kind of be able to be self-aware enough to know that like, I'm not really enjoying this the way that I thought I was going to, you know, that is a good indicator that, you know, whatever major that you're in is, is maybe not for you. And that goes for any student, even non-design students, you know, you might be in engineering and be like, I thought I was going to love this and I'm really just not enjoying any aspect of it. I'm also not enjoying my fellow community. That's also a good indicator. Partly how I knew I needed to change my major because I, I, you know, I got my associates in business and then I went on to do marketing specifically. I didn't care about my classes, didn't care about my professors, couldn't relate to anybody. I couldn't relate to anybody in my classes in the business program. And I was like, this is just so bizarre. And then do I want to do this for the rest of my life? <laughs> do I want to move from a, you know, a major that I don't care about into a job that I don't care about where I have to go to that job Monday through Friday, eight to five between when I graduate and then when I retire, hopefully at 65. Like, do I want to do that? Like, no. Um, so typically those are some good indicators that you might not be in the right major. But I, I do tell students before you do any kind of changing of majors, you know, talk to your advisor before or talk to even like a career counselor, you know, talk with as many people as you can. I think it's also always interesting to ask your family, like, hey, mom and dad or hey, uncle, you know, whoever, aunt, whoever. When I was younger, what did you think I was going to be? I always like, I, I find it interesting what other people thought you were going to be and like, how does that resonate with you now? I mean, just thinking of myself, my parents definitely thought, like I mentioned earlier, that I wanted to be a doctor because I always wanted to help people. And yet that never changed. Like even now in design, my leading drive is like, I want to help people to create like better built environments, better houses, you know, better hospitals. So I would even say that's a really great way to think of it. Like, what were the things that you were really driven to as a child? And it doesn't even have to be like, oh, I really love drawing or I really love medicine. Like, like more like, what was the reason why you were into those things? Like, did you want to help people? Did you, were you really into, interested in technological advancements? Were you like really interested in, you know, reading sci-fi? Like all of those things are elements that could go towards helping you find what career is right for you. And what also are your driving passions? Um, hearing the, the statistic that you gave of somebody changing their major four to five times was very shocking to me. And then I instantly remembered um, a graduating student from two years ago whose name was Paul Molina. And I remember at <laughs> it was graduation day and he was selected to speak in front of everybody. And I remember he stood up in front of the microphone and openly admitted to the fact that he changed his majors, I think like three or four times and how all of those changes were really crucial to him finding what he really wanted to do. Luckily, it was all within the College of Architecture and Design, but you know, he wasn't changing from one college to another, but, you know, again, those, those are the things that you never expect to be influential to the degree that they really are when you're helping, like, try to find your path. Yeah. And I think it's important because we don't typically talk about it. Parents don't talk about it to you typically, right? They're not, they're, your parents are going to tell you at 18, like, okay, pick this major. Oh, but by the way, you're probably going to change it three or four times, <laughs> right? That's not something that like parents talk about. It's usually not something that we talk about necessarily at orientation. It's not necessarily something that your professors talk to you about, but it is a reality that we all live in. Um, 
so I, I try to normalize it as much as possible. And when a student, I mean, God, I can't tell you how many students come in my office and they almost whisper it to me. Like, I have to, I have to tell you something. And I'm like, oh, okay. I think I might want to change my major. Like it is, it's all like they're, they're, it's like they're timid or scared to tell me or like, will, will you be disappointed in me if I tell you? And I'm never disappointed. I'm never, because I'm ultimately like, what do you want to do? And let's get you there. Right. Like that is what is like awesome and beautiful. And I, that's what, that's what I want to see you do. I don't want to see you do architecture if you hate it. I don't want to see you major in ID if you're suffering the whole time. I want to see you thrive where you're going to like feel that you as a person are being fulfilled. Um, but people do change their major a lot. It's just not something that we talk about. Um, you know, but I try to tell students if they tell me that I need to change my major, even if it's just from like architecture to ID, but even if it's ID to, you know, I wanted to go into, you know, hotel restaurant management, right? Like, even if it's that big kind of jump, like it's totally okay. And it's normal. And it's awesome. And let's find out about it. Um, because like you said, like Paul mentioned, those, those changes in majors can ultimately give you a lot of knowledge about yourself that you would have never had otherwise. What am I capable of? Um, what do, what do I really like? What do I not like? Um, if we don't experiment and kind of investigate, we're never going to know. Um, and I would rather my students never look back and regret, like, I regret not finding out about X. I regret not asking this question. I'd rather you ask it, let's get the knowledge, and then you can move forward with kind of knowing, like, yeah, I figured it all out. Like, any any dark hole or, you know, like, dark room, I didn't, I didn't leave the door shut. I opened it. I just had to know. I just had to figure it. I just needed to check. I'd rather you guys do that than look back and say, well, I wish I'd opened that door just for a second, just to peek in. Well, thank you so much. Um, again, your insight is super helpful. Um, I think these are a lot of the questions that, like you said, people whisper to themselves and to their friends in between classes, wondering what is the right choice. And there really is no true right choice. Like all choices are good in a way. They teach you different things. And uh, I wish we talked more about it because I, I think that that's, the one leading cause of stress in the student's life is wondering if they're making the right choices yeah, and, and not really sure of themselves. Cause I mean, you're at 18, you're never really sure at some of the choices that you're making and it takes time to like get that confidence yeah. inside of you. Yeah. And what I would say is on, on that, like, you know, when you're in class with other people and they seem really confident, they're just as unsure on the inside as you are. And honestly, so are your professors. Like, I mean, I teach a class for the College of Engineering, so I work with engineering students, you know, each semester. And uh, I typically don't tell them during the semester, but I will slowly, as we get to the end of the semester, right, and I build up this rapport with them all semester. Um, you know, I have a degree, which means I can teach a specific subject, right? But as a human being, I'm still figuring it out. And so, like, when you're in college, like, it doesn't matter how confident your peers are, they're still trying to figure it out. But honestly, your professors, they're still trying to figure it out. We're all still trying to figure it out. Maybe not architecture, maybe not design, maybe they've got that down, but like, being a human and figuring out, like, how does this all work? And am I making the right decision? And am I happy? Or, you know, whatever. Like, we are literally all trying to figure it out and we're doing the best that we can. Um, and so like, ultimately that just means like, you're not alone and 
you know, we're, we're like, the more we can kind of realize that we're learning together, um, I think the more connected we'll feel, but also like the, the feeling of lostness or like the feeling of like stumbling around in a dark room, like we realize like maybe it's not so dark and we're not the only one doing that. Have you guys, because like you said, like you have to, like you're in studio, right? Like technically you're in studio, but you're on your phone, but you're outside. Um, and I, I know we all kind of do that, right? Like we are living and working from home, but we're all doing it together. Has it made your professors seem more like human because you see them in their own, like, I can't tell you how many meetings that I'm in where you see somebody's kitchen or somebody's husband or wife walks through, or there's a kid throwing a fit in the background. Like, it just kind of reminds me that like, okay, we're all, (laughs) we're literally, we're all on the same level right now. Um, Does it help make your professors more relatable or more like puts them in more of like a human environment? I would argue yes, but for a different reason. It's been eye-opening to see my professors struggle with the virtual switch like nothing else. Mm. Like I feel like we as students, because we're, you know, Gen Zers and we're, you know, really grew up in a world full of technology and we understand like I mean, anybody in ID could probably attest to this. Like there are certain rules and certain things when you design products and when you design interfaces, when you design computers, that after a while you start to learn that that language. And so if you are really good at Illustrator, you can just really quickly switch over to Photoshop because the interface is really similar. And I feel like us as students, we have so many of those different experiences that switching to an online environment, while it was tricky, you know, trying to navigate that, we picked it up fairly quickly. Like within a semester, we knew what we were doing and we had it, we got it. As opposed to like even some professors now, like we've been doing this for two and a half semesters and they're still fumbling through trying to like screen share and like send different things. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, like how is this happening? Like they they definitely feel a lot more human in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant earlier. We're all trying to, like, no matter what age you are, you are still trying to figure it out. Now, what are you trying to figure out might be totally different than somebody else, but like, we're literally all still trying to figure it out. Well, thank you guys. This has been so nice. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're really excited and joyful that everybody at the college, you know, the administration and the professors have really loved, you know, these kinds of really quick, short interviews and just to kind of like get their perspective on a bunch of different topics. So I mean, we're super happy to be able to have this opportunity and share it with the rest of the community. So, you know, thank you so much for your perspective. It's been really, you know, enlightening. I've been talking about it with my family all week. I'm like, I'm being interviewed. I'm super nervous, but I'm so excited. So thank you guys. Um, it also makes me feel to be like a part of the, of the college because I feel like sometimes staff are kind of they're not necessarily ignored or forgotten, but you know, we're just not in the trenches of design and and architecture. So like, it really does make me feel like, oh no, I I do have a place in this community and they do remember me. So like, thank you so much. I like, it's very much an honor to be here with you guys. So thank you. Thank you for listening to Sorry I'm in Studio, a podcast produced and presented by the Cleisthenes chapter of APX. 
If you're interested in joining us, check us out on Instagram at APX underscore Kleistenes. And follow us at Sorry I'm in Studio on Instagram for the latest graphics and episode trailers.